Welcome to Inside Maine, and today we're going to be talking about one of the most important issues facing our state right now, which is threats and challenges to our iconic lobster industry. And when I say industry, I'm really talking about 5,600 small businesses scattered along the Maine coast and, of course, all the other businesses that are supported and involved in the lobster industry. So we're going to be talking with Pat Kelleher, who's the commissioner of the Department of Marine Resources of the state, who's been deeply involved in this issue. Uh, Betty feels like it's all his life. And uh, Kurt Brown, who's a, a lobsterman in the Portland area, second generation, and now he's lobstering with his kids. Also, he has a degree in marine biology, so we're going to be exploring this issue on a number of levels. First, I want to start with you, Commissioner Kelleher. Bring me up to date on the state of various pieces of litigation. I understand the governor has authorized and the legislature has authorized some powerful steps to help fight this matter in court. Where does that all stand? First, Senator, thank you for having me on. As you said, this is one of the the biggest issues facing the state of Maine right now and could be devastating to our coastal economies. We've been engaged in this for years now, um, but in litigation now for the last two years. And when this all started, when uh, the Center for Biological Diversity filed lawsuits against NOAA, this was early on in the process. It was never thought to become this big of an issue. And the state under the LePage administration filed an amicus brief through the attorney general's office. But as this case ramped up, the attorney general and the assistant AGs that I work with recognized very quickly that we needed more horsepower from a legal sense. Then we had a change of administrations then working with Governor Mills. She said, let's figure out how we could do something a little differently. So between the governor and AG Fry, they both agreed that we needed to hire outside counsel. So we engaged a firm with a really good track record, both of the Marine Mammal Protection Act and the Endangered Species Act. And the firm's actually based out of Seattle, Washington. They've represented the state of Alaska on many similar type cases. And we engaged them very quickly, intervened in some of the early cases. And then again, as these cases expanded, we knew we were going to need more money in order to be able to cover the cost. And the governor in, in her last biennial budget included $3 million, which was approved by the, the main legislature to give us not only the financial resources for the existing cases, but on appeal as well. And the MLA case has now been appealed to the First Circuit. We're waiting for decisions on the CBD v. Ross case uh, in front of Judge Bozberg in the federal district court in Washington. And we're expecting a decision on that case sometime in November. And as you know, the decisions by Judge Bozberg to date have not gone well for the Maine lobster fishery. Well, let me, let me, I, I, we should have, I sort of, I sort of started and jumped right into it. The essence of what's going on is that several environmental groups have sued the federal government. Yeah. That they're doing enough to protect the endangered right whale. There's no question the right whale is endangered. There are only three or 400 left in the whole world. And uh, the question is whether they are threatened in some way by entanglement in, in Maine lobster gear. And that's so this the federal government, the Department of Commerce, NOAA, which is the National Oceanographic and Air Administration, is caught in the middle where they're being sued, but they're not doing enough. And we feel that the steps that they're proposing go too far. Right. And so that's really what this argument is all about. Let me step back a minute and share sort of where I'm coming from on this. To me, 
the weakness of the federal of the regulation, which they're they're basically proposing regulations which would be crippling to the main lobster industry, they're not based on much science. Uh, they're based on on supposition and what's called the precautionary principle, which is you don't take a chance with an endangered species. But as I understand it, there hasn't been an entanglement of a right whale in Maine lobster gear in almost 20 years, and there's never been a death of a right whale attributable to Maine lobster gear, but they're holding us responsible anyway. Is that accurate? Yeah, you're spot on, Senator. We, we, we have known entanglements in mortalities and unknown. And as you said, since 2004, there's never been a, a right whale entanglement attributed to Maine lobster gear and no mortalities in that time frame either. What they've done, though, is they take these different models, a habitat suitability model, uh, a population-based model, and um, a co-occurrence model that models where the gear is. And they take this model and they make assumptions with this model. And this model um, is really the underlying problem because the assumptions that they're making, for instance, right now, one of the assumptions is that zone A, which is all of Washington and part of Hancock County, should be closed to lobstering four months a year, not because there's right whales there, but because the habitat is suitable. And a whale might, might show up in that water, right? We, we know they pass through there, but not at a level like you would see in other areas. We, we have no feeding congregations of whales where the main lobster fishery takes place. They feed and congregate in uh, Mass Bay and south of Nantucket and in Canadian waters in the Gulf of St. Lawrence. Well, that's you put your finger on one of the issues that I'm pursuing down here, which is where are the whales? Correct. And there isn't much data on that. And as you say, they're assuming that the habitat is okay, therefore the whales would be there. That's like saying the habitat in Maine might be okay for elk, but we don't have much of an elk population. Exactly. Uh, for, for a lot of reasons. And we can all agree that if the whales were off the coast of Ireland, we wouldn't be having this discussion. And so what I'm working on, and I have, I've had some very interesting meetings in the last two or three weeks, in trying to get better data about where the whales are. Yeah. Uh, there, as you've seen those maps from, I think it's whalewatch.org. And if you go back to 2012 and look at them each year, that it's based on whales being spotted or heard. And what it shows is that there's a steady diminution of the number of whales off the main coast. And as you say, they're they're all up in the in the Bay of Fundy and, and the Gulf of St. Lawrence or down around Cape Cod but literally one or two sightings. And that couple of years, there were zero sightings. So what I'm working on down here is with NOAA, but also with the uh, satellite people about cracking them by satellite. So we'll have some real data instead of saying, well, they might be there, therefore we're gonna shut you down. Yeah, uh, and, and, and that type of, we, we, we desperately need tracking. We desperately need tracking. They're, they're tracking, South Atlantic right whales now, you know, a very similar, a different species, but very similar. And they are successfully putting trackers on those whales now and tracking them for periods of time. Yet, yet NOAA and the Science Center continue to tell us 
that we can't, that it's too dangerous, that it is harmful to the whale. It may impact their, quote, fitness for the long term. We need data to show clearly that Maine is not the problem. We're now guilty because of the amount of end lines we have in the water, right? We've already reduced that once, um, and they're asking for draconian measures to take more line out of the water with an end result to make every fisherman go to ropeless gear, which is not attainable not attainable in the next five years, maybe not even 10 years. So, Well, I, I want to follow up with Kurt Brown on that, on the, the ropeless gear issue. But the other piece is that's, that's very frustrating. Maine has done a lot. The lobstermen in the last 10 yeah. years have put weak links in their rope so they'll break if there's an entanglement. They're actually using weaker rope. Yeah. They're Marking their gear, they've changed the way the the ropes are now. The trawls are on the bottom instead of the surface. I remember you'd see these buoys, and and there'd be a long line across the surface. That's pretty much gone now. I think I read, or maybe you told me, thirty thousand miles of rope has been taken out of the of the Gulf of Maine. But but we get no credit. Uh, We're getting for, we get no credit for that. We've been putting measures in place since 1997. Right, These, this last round of measures with phase one of the plan to reach a 60% risk reduction came at a lot of cost to the industry members, but they did it. They've complied, the compliance level is incredibly high and it's proven to work, right? We, we're making rope weaker. We're taking more rope out of the water. We're doing it by trawling up. Some fishermen are trawling up even in the face of their own safety in order to be able to continue to fish in the areas that they've traditionally fished. So, you know, we've got the target on our back. Again, it's, and it's only because we have a lot of gear in the water. I think it's clear that right whales pass through and buy the main fishery offshore, right? The data clearly, clearly shows that. All of the measures that we put in place in 2021 targeted those offshore areas, yet it's not enough. The National Marine Fisheries Service continued to say we've got to come inshore and do more protections in closer to shore. Even, but even right. though no evidence that the whales are there. Exactly. Exactly. The, our lead scientist, Aaron Summers, incredibly, incredibly talented marine scientist, likened it to squeezing a balloon. Every time we do more offshore and squeeze that balloon off, offshore to fix risk, it pops up somewhere else. You know, so you picture yourself squeezing a balloon and then it pops out behind your hands or on the top. And that's what's happening. As we reduce risk in other areas, all of a sudden the federal agency says, oh, well, look, now it's changed the hotspot to down East Maine or zone G off Jeffries, right? It's like every time we do something, they come up with another excuse to do more. And it's based on a non-peer-reviewed model. Right? A non-peer-reviewed model. I, I don't want to harp on it too much, but again, the fundamental problem for me is they don't know where the whales are. Correct. And they're penalizing us, even though what evidence there is in terms of entanglement and no evidence ever of a death attributable to Maine, even though there's no evidence, they're saying, well, there's a possibility this might be happening and therefore we're going to cripple this industry. And that's what's so frustrating. That's why I'm hoping... What we're working on now is developing satellite data that will use artificial intelligence that can identify what a right whale looks like when it breaches, and they can say, okay, here's where they are. 
And I think that's where you should start rather than starting with this assumption that harm is being, there's harm. And, and look, you and I are both, we don't want to wipe out the right whales. I mean, we're sympathetic to it, but it's a question. I mean, one of the problems is that they're imposing very draconian measures without sufficient evidence. I mean, if you're in a court and you're going to take somebody's liberty away and send them to jail, you got to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. In this case, they're not proving it at all. No, and you would think with the amount, if, if we had a meeting with fishermen last night, and he said, if we've got 90% of the end lines, how come there's not dead whales floating everywhere? Right? I mean, because you would assume that based on how they talk about the problem with the main fishery, that we're going to see these everywhere. Instead, they make the assumptions that you're talking about by saying, well, for every known whale that we, we know that died, we've, we're now going to assume that 2.2 more died from unknown cases. Right. So we can't, what, you know, it's, there's no smoking gun, there's no bodies. It's all based on arbitrary use of the data and assumptions. And well, it's, that's got to stop. To go back to the beginning, a lot of people are saying, sue them, sue them, sue the yeah. federal government. In effect, that's what we're doing, right? I mean, that's yeah. what we are. And, and you're, we're hiring uh, outside counsel, and the administration is, is appealing these decisions. As you say, I've yeah. read decisions of this judge in Washington, and, and he's not very sympathetic. But I think somehow we have to make the case to him. And it sounds like the state's doing just that. Yeah, the, the Maine Lobstermen's Association actually got ahead of us and, and filed a case and, uh, and arguing some of the points about the arbitrary use of the data. As we were looking at that and looking at hiring new attorneys, they'd filed that case. We've now intervened in that case. We have got full status in that case, full status in the CBD Ross case. And Governor Mills is prepared to continue to appeal these all the way to the Supreme Court, if that's what it takes. Right now, it's one individual in Washington, D.C., one federal judge who is at the controls to make these decisions. We need to broaden that. It needs to go higher. One case is in front of the First Circuit. And if we have another bad decision, we will take the next one to the First Circuit as well. So we're going to take this as far as it needs to go to right the wrongs. And now, I've already said, let's go back to the beginning again a couple of times, <laughs> but uh, talk to me about how important the lobster industry is to Maine. Worth about uh, $2 billion to the, to the economy of the state of Maine. The landed value alone last year was $731 million. That's just the, just, that is just the price paid to harvesters. You know, you, you look at the, the coastal economy, it's the cornerstone of the coastal economy. And, you know, whether it is truck dealers, whether it's restaurants, you know, main tourism, I can't remember what the overall number was of people that came here to enjoy this, the state as tourists, but 4 million people ate lobsters when they came here, right? I mean, it, it's, it's unbelievable. Think about it. You see it from DC. I mean, you fought to get an emoji, a lobster emoji. I know. Right, because of because of it is its iconic stature to the state of Maine. Right? Well, I mean, I was up in Deer Isle not long ago. I mean, communities like Stonington—that's the whole—that's the basis of the whole economy. And and even down there in Portland, you've got ready seafood and and uh, you know the 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 processing side of it that's that's so important. So it, it's it really is a, a and and again it's 
it's we, we always say the lobster industry, but you're you're really talking about small business. Amazon doesn't own any lobster boats. Correct. Uh, I mean, it's Stonington. I don't know if it held true last year, but in prior years, Stonington, Maine landed more lobsters than the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Right. I mean, think about that. That's just one port on the coast of Maine. Right. It's a. It is. I I grew up going to Cliff Island, lobstering with my uncle and my cousins. Right. Starting in the seventies, when we only landed. 20 million pounds of lobster. We're landing, we've been consistently landing over 100 million pounds for the last decade. The Which most- is it's a lot more, but that, it's almost doubled in the last 20 years. But one of the problems is right now, the lobstermen are being squeezed in all directions. Prices are down somewhat in part because of the economy, and but fuel prices are still high for their boats and bait is, is a problem. So uh, they're facing a lot of challenges in this. They don't need this. <laughs> no, they, they don't. I mean, it is the lack of certainty. You you know better than than anybody, Senator. In a business community, you need certainty in order to plan your future moving forward. The lack of certainty for these 5,000 small businesses hasn't been there for the last six years. And because of the draconian measures they're talking about, which are being forced now down the throats of NOAA because of Judge Boesberg with as pushing this next 90% reduction, has already started to cripple shoreside businesses. Down East Trap has already laid off all of their crews building traps uh, in Down East Maine. We're already hearing about lobster boat owners starting to say, I'm done, I'm going to sell out. We're already hearing about crews being cut back because of fuel prices, because of bait prices, and now because they're unsure of what the future is going to bring because of the right whale. This is the spotted owl of the East right now, and it is a it is not a good time to be a Maine lobsterman because of the threats they're facing. Well, we've talked mostly about these lawsuits, but we haven't really talked about Seafood Watch and the the so-called red listing of Maine lobsters, which is really the same problem. They've they've essentially, they're telling people not to buy lobsters because of the threat to the right whales without any evidence that they're really a threat to the right whales. And boy, that one really frosted me. Those people never came to Maine, to my knowledge. The final insult was they issued this report, this outfit out in California, they issued this report 73 pages long, telling people not to buy Maine lobster, which is essentially saying, we want this industry to die. Yeah. And they never, there wasn't a single word in that 73 page report expressing the slightest concern about the effect that this was going to have on the people of Maine. If they had just once said, we realize this is going to be a hardship, however, they never said that. I mean, I don't yeah. know about but that that was the that was the straw that really frosted me. They they ought to pay attention to what's going on in the Pacific instead of coming here and and attacking this industry. Instead of using their bully pulpit to try to influence managers, they decided to to try to put more small businesses out of business. Well, we, as you know, we're trying to put them out of business. We've got a bill. The whole delegation has sponsored a bill that basically will eliminate federal funding for this crowd at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. They've got to understand that they can't be this irresponsible and continue to feed at the federal trough. We're, we're going to put a stop to that. Uh, well, listen, Pat, it's been great to talk to you. You've done such a, a terrific job working 
both in the you work for Governor LePage now for Governor Mills, which I think is a good indication of that this is a nonpartisan issue. And we will obviously keep in touch. You and I have each other on speed dial. And now I'm going to talk to Kurt Brown about the impact on the water. Patrick, thanks very much for the work you're doing. Yeah, well, thank you, Senator. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, and uh, thanks for all you're doing for the lobster industry. It's uh, You and the entire delegation have been nothing but supportive, so we thank you for that. Well, that's what you hired us for. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all yeah. right. Uh, stay with us on Inside Bain. We're going to stay with the topic of lobsters and right whales and talk to somebody who has direct hands-on experience on the water and some background in this area. So we'll be right back on Inside Maine. We'll talk to you in just a minute. Welcome back to Inside Maine. This is Angus King. We talk about issues on this program that are involved with the state of Maine and the people of Maine, often that have some involvement with the federal government, which is my job here in Washington. Today, we're talking about one that is absolutely at the top of the list, and that is the lobster industry and the decisions that are being made here in Washington and, ironically, out in California, uh, that are really uh, targeting and threatening uh, this iconic main industry. We're going to talk now to Kurt Brown, who's a second-generation lobsterman. He also has a degree, I think, in marine biology from the University of Maine, and uh, he's now lobstering with his kids. He also works with Ready Seafood in Portland. Kurt, you, you've heard the discussion with Pat Kelleher. Give me some of your thoughts as you're, as you're wrestling with this issue. Well, thank you very much, Senator, for having me on today. <clears throat> I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, as you've heard, this is an issue that is impacting, I would say, our country's most iconic and most sustainable fishery in a drastically negative way. We have a long history of conserving not only our own resource in the form of lobsters on the bottom of the ocean and effectively doing that, but as the commissioner and as you mentioned earlier, we have two decades of history effectively protecting right whales. And I think one thing that everyone on either side of this issue can agree on is how important it is to protect these majestic creatures. And I would go a step further and argue that there is not a group in this country that has done more to protect right whales than lobstermen here in Maine. And we'll continue to do that as long as we have the opportunity to continue to do what we do out on the water. Well, my understanding, for example, on the data is that almost all of the fatalities uh, to right whales have occurred in Canadian waters up in the Gulf of St. Lawrence. And, and ship strikes are a big problem. And also the snow crab fishery that they have up there. That's where the problem seems to be, isn't it? In, in terms of where we're finding entangled whales. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, if you look back over the last two decades, I'd emphasize that as an industry, uh, we've sacrificed both financially and our safety out on the water by doing everything from putting weak links in our end lines to this past year, putting new and different weak links in our end lines. I still have calluses on my thumbs and fingers from splicing those into all of my end lines. I don't think I've been doing that much splicing probably since I was a, a stern man back in the late 1990s. Um, we've removed all of the float rope in our fishery and replaced it with sinking rope. 
removed end lines, as you mentioned, to the tune of about removing 30,000 miles of rope from the Gulf of Maine in the form of those end lines. We mark all of our gear so that in the rare event of an entanglement, we know exactly where that entanglement occurred. And ultimately, have, all have of there this- been any entanglements that have been identified as main gear? It's a great question. The answer to that is no. If we were doing all of this and making all of this effort to protect whales and it wasn't working, that would be one thing. But all of these sacrifices we've made have worked. I know you've heard me say it before, but the real take home message is the fact that there have been zero documented entanglements in main gear since 2004. And there has never, ever been a documented mortality associated with main gear. Uh, myself, personally, I know over the last 20 years, I've shelled out at least $20,000 for gear modifications to protect whales. You multiply that by 4,000 harvesters up and down the coast, and you're talking about $80 million our industry has spent protecting right whales. I would challenge any group across the country to show the same receipts that we have as an industry to protect right whales. And like I said, what we've done has worked. Well, one of the frustrating things about that red listing by the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch is that they discounted all those efforts. They, it would be funny if it weren't so serious, but they're condemning our industry on essentially no data, no evidence, and yet they refuse to count any data of what we've done to protect the whales. In other words, they, they said, they actually said this, the, the steps that you outlined, the weak links, the weaker rope, all those things, have not been proven to be effective. So we've got to prove a negative, and they don't have to prove a damn thing uh, to try to put us out of business. I mean, that just, give me a break. Yeah, it's a, that was a crazy process, as you're well aware. I know you were part of it from the beginning. I was as well. You summed it up about as effectively as anyone I've heard by saying we were guilty until proven innocent during that entire process. Uh, we went through that entire report with a fine-tooth comb multiple times, myself, some of our competitors, uh, you know, the entire federal delegation, yourself included, the governor, the commissioner. We had a whole team going through their assessment, pointing out the flaws, the faults, and at the end of the process, as we found out about a month ago, all of those objections fell on deaf ears, and I'm convinced they had no intention of ever doing anything other than listing us red, which is unfortunate. Yeah, it was it was a it was a setup. There's no there's no question. And and they we got a letter back. We wrote them a, a tough letter saying, you know, where's your evidence? We got a letter back and it was pretty much two pages of mush and no evidence. Yeah. And, the, the, you know, we're still waiting to hear what they what they base this decision on. Like I said to Pat, if if you're going to try to put somebody out of business, you ought to have some data and not just uh, supposition. But so. Let me, I mean, you're on the water, you're in touch with people. You heard what I talked to Pat about. To me, the key question is, where are the whales? Yep. And one of the lobstermen that was at our press conference said he'd been out on the water for 30 years and never seen one. Have you ever seen one out there? I've never seen a right whale out on the water, whether I've been out lobstering or out on the boat with my family. You know, I think the data that we do have is showing that right whales do not frequent the coast of Maine. As Commissioner Kellenher said earlier, we're more of a highway on the way up to the Gulf of St. Lawrence at this point in time. And that highway is 
way offshore outside of where the majority of fishing for lobster takes place. I think one thing that we as an industry need more of is monitoring. And I would say if these environmental groups were as serious as they say they are about protecting right whales, instead of investing money in lawsuits against the federal government, they'd be investing money in real monitoring programs so that we could know where these right whales are in real time and they could do a better job protecting them. Ultimately, I don't see that happening because I don't think that's where their interest truly lies. But I think a better job monitoring this species, these right whales, would help everyone protect them and we wouldn't have to be dealing with this issue or having this conversation right now, realistically. Well, I remember being at a scoping session with the feds up in Ellsworth about five or six years ago, and it was clear then they didn't have information. I said, why aren't you, you know, why aren't you out there looking? What are you doing to find the whales? And they said, well, we do a flight every now and then, but that's kind of expensive and my response was, you know, tell us if you need more money to do the to do the research. But th- the interesting thing is, I've looked at these maps of whale sightings, and over the last ten years, they're fewer and fewer along the coast of Maine. It's clear that they're chasing food somewhere else. And if you look at the map, and I think it's at whalewatch.org or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. You can see, you, you, you see these little dots on uh, wherever they see a whale. And if you look at each year, I've got them in my phone for the last 10 years, each year the number of dots off the coast of Maine goes less and less and less down to one or two or zero, whereas you see hundreds of the little dots up in Canada and down around Cape Cod. That tells me that they are being observed. They're just not being observed in Maine. That's exactly right. I mean, if you look at the data of whale sightings up and down the East Coast, you will notice the conspicuous absence of sightings along the entire main coast. We've been shouting from the rooftops for years that they simply aren't here. And the risk that the feds associate with our fishery is not what they say it is. They always use uncertainty as kind of the trump card to say, well, we're just not sure that they aren't, and therefore we have to err on the side of caution. Commissioner Kelleher mentioned the model that NOAA and NIMS are using to measure risk associated with fisheries towards right whales and right whale population trajectories overall. Nowhere in the Endangered Species Act or the Marine Mammal Protection Act does it say that they're required to use the worst case scenario in each parameter of their model. I will just go through some of the parameters here that they've used for worst case scenarios to demonstrate how off their model is. Uh, For birth rates in their model to estimate population trajectories, they use the years 2010 through 2018, the worst birthing rates on record. They are not required to do that. If they included 2009, which was the highest birthing year on record, or 2019, 2020, 2021, 22, there's a really good chance we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation today. So are you saying they cherry-picked the years to find the worst case? I'm no computer modeler, but it would seem to me that it's not a coincidence that they chose those years. It's not a coincidence that they chose the mortality allocation 50-50 between the U.S. and Canada when the data doesn't support that. um, They're not required to assume that there is no zero natural mortality in the right whale population. Wait a minute. You mean mean the model assumes that right whales don't die of natural causes? 
That's exactly right. There is no natural mortality in right whale populations. And for every documented right whale mortality, they assume that there are about three, quote unquote, cryptic mortalities. And of the cryptic mortalities, 30% are associated with ship strikes and 70% associated with fishing activity when the data does not support either of those allocations as well. So you get a sense of where the frustration comes from on our end. And I'll just end by a quote from the take production team meeting about a month ago. There was a question asked why the figure for average whale mortality is based on the years 2015 to 2019 rather than more current data. And the response from NOAA was as followed, quote, we are limited by our model. We're always a little bit behind in the data that we have. The most recent year we have is actually 2019, unfortunately. So we have to use that until we get updated data. I read that and I think to myself, my seven-year-old son, my five-year-old daughter deserve better than that. Maine's coastal communities deserve better than that. Our country's most iconic and sustainable fishery deserves better than that. We can't update a model beyond 2019. And here we are talking about putting Maine's lobster industry out of business. That's a travesty. Is the data available? Yes. From uh, 20 and 2021? Yes, to the best of my knowledge, for most of those parameters, the data is available. Huh. Now, let me go back to what's going on. You heard Patrick talk about the state is appealing these cases. They're hiring outside counsel. Do you feel like the industry is being sufficiently advocated for by the state and the delegation? I do. I think the state and the delegation are doing a great job right now. I think the lawsuit that is being led by Maine Lobstermen's Association and supported by the state and the delegation is our best hope by far for the future of this industry. When you're talking about a 90% risk reduction coming at us sooner than most people realize, you're talking about large areas of Maine's coast closed for extended periods of time to lobstering. That will be the elimination of coastal communities. That will be the elimination of Maine's lobstering heritage. That will be the elimination of Maine's tax base from Kittery to Cutler. That's a very scary proposition. So there's a lot riding on this legal case that we've been talking about for the last 40 minutes or so. Well, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and they said, look, uh, why don't these guys just go to ropeless fishing that's the answer. That's the long-term answer. Then we won't have this problem. It'll go away. The lobstermen can continue to lobster. Talk to me about ropeless fishing. First, describe what it means. What is it? That's a great question. So ropeless or on-demand fishing is a new technology that is being developed that behind a computer screen sounds like the ultimate solution. Basically, you don't have any of the end lines that we have in our fishery right now. You have your cell phone out on your boat with you and you can go to an app and press a button and a buoy will float up from the bottom of the ocean from a trap and you can just retrieve it right there. And in theory, that reduces a substantial amount of risk to right whales. The reality of that situation for a number of reasons 
reasons is it's just not feasible at this point in time. I believe, and I read the latest NOAA report, that they have an 80 to 90 percent effective rate of retrieval for ropeless or on-demand gear right now. If I were in high school math class, I'd be over the moon for an 80 or 90 percent score on a test. But when you're talking about retrieving lobster traps out in the ocean, Getting your traps back 80 to 90% of the time under optimal conditions is a recipe to go out of business very, very quickly. You combine that 80 to 90% retrieval rate, which is way too low to put into practice anytime soon, with a cost to rig, say, 800 traps. And these are numbers from DMR that I believe are the most recent. If any individual harvester was to re-rig over to all ropeless gear, it would cost about $500,000. So essentially, it would put the majority of harvesters along the main coast out of business overnight, combined with the fact that, well, I was just up in Jonesport two days ago, and I couldn't even get cell service on land, never mind out on the water. So if I don't have cell service, in theory, I can't get my buoy from the bottom of the ocean to the surface with this new technology. And I would be interested in Pat's take. I know I've heard it before, but from a monitoring perspective, it's an absolute nightmare. We are required to have all of our gear marked at the surface so Marine Patrol can haul our gear if they ever need to and make sure we have our trap tags in our traps, make sure we're not fishing over the maximum number of traps, and monitor the fishery effectively, which is a key part of the sustainability of our industry. As soon as you go ropeless or on demand, the ability of Marine Patrol to do that goes away. Well, the other piece is one lobsterman I was talking to about this said, one of the problems is if, if there are no buoys, you don't know where anybody else's gear is, you could drop a trap and you'd be right on top of somebody else. Oh yeah, I mean, you can imagine the tangles that would occur in a very short period of time if we were to go to ropeless overnight, because like you said, we set our traps based on what we see at the surface in the form of other folks' buoys. You line up where other folks have set their traps, and that's where you set your traps, is to stay away from them. If you can't see on the surface where other people have set their gear, you are just going to have strings of traps set on top of strings of traps, and no one will be able to get their gear back, and it will just be a severe ghost gear situation, which probably causes a lot more risk to right whales than anything else we're doing. Well, let me end up with a, a little bit about the Monterey Bay Aquarium. To, to your knowledge, did they ever send anybody to Maine to go out on a boat or see how lobster fishing works or assess any of the, the steps that we've taken over the last 15 or 20 years to protect uh, my scent? Uh, I haven't met anybody yet who's ever seen any of those people. No, absolutely not. They didn't. I was involved with that process, this latest assessment since 2019. It's been a, a three-year process. There were a lot of remote meetings with us here and them in California, and no one from that organization ever stepped foot in the state of Maine, which is certainly unfortunate. Has anyone ever reached out to you or to others in the industry to express support for additional aid to to the industry or any concern of the impact of what they're doing? No, certainly not. I don't think they're all that concerned, but I will say that in a lot of ways, that red listing has enabled us as a company that sells lobsters around the country and around the world to engage our customers on this issue. 
to bring them up to speed on what we have done and what we are doing. And we, when we get the opportunity to spell out what we've done as an industry to our customers, they are super receptive to all the efforts we have made. They understand the flaws in Seafood Watch's program, and they certainly recognize what we have done as an industry to protect right whales. So, so there were a couple of companies that took Maine Lobster off their menus as a result of that right away. But my understanding is that trend hasn't continued. You all have done an effective job of educating your customers. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's accurate. Uh, there was a headline saying that, and I believe the two companies that were in that article, Hello Fresh and Blue Apron, there was a follow-up article, uh, I believe in the Bangor Daily News, that said one of them had only taken it off because it was a seasonal item for them and the season was over for them. And the other, you could still go right online and find it there. So I don't think there was really any truth to those two companies actually taking lobster off their menu as a result of Seafood Watch. Well, one of the real results of this is a loss of credibility by this crowd out in California. And and uh, if we have anything to say about it here in Washington, they're going to lose more than credibility. They're going to they're going to lose some dough. We you know, appreciate that. Do that. I said, how can I possibly not do that? I can't represent <laughs> the people of Maine and tell them that their taxes are going to go to support this uh, outfit that's trying to put them out of business. That that makes no sense. Well, listen, Kurt. It's great to talk to you again, and uh, let's keep in touch on this issue. I'm hopeful that the new horsepower involved with our appeals will be effective. Uh, I'm working down here on improving the data, using satellites to determine where the whales are. I don't think they're in Maine waters. And once we can do that, hopefully we can get the feds and uh, other parties around the country to understand that this is really the Maine lobster industry is a monument to conservation and that we should recognize that and hopefully we'll be able to to uh, make some progress on this issue. Kurt, thanks very much and thanks to the Reddies and all the others that are so important to this industry. Down here in Washington, we got Luke's Lobster in town and that's where I send my friends who are looking for a good lobster roll. I love it. That sounds great to me. I appreciate the opportunity, Senator. If we can navigate this issue, we have a healthy resource on the bottom of the ocean. We have strong markets around the world, and I feel optimistic for the future of Maine's lobster industry if we can navigate this issue. So thank you again for the opportunity. Thanks, Kurt. I think navigate's the right word, and that's what we're all trying to do. Thanks, everybody, and thanks for joining us on Inside Maine. A look today at the status of the Maine lobster industry, particularly the challenges that we're facing from both the federal government and nonprofit groups that are trying to put us out of business. But it, this has been, a, I hope, an illuminating conversation. We'll see you next time on Inside Maine. This is Angus King. Take it easy. Have a good day. <laughs>